And everyone else, I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The Battle of Waterloo that took place on June 18, 1815, marked the final defeat of Napoleon. Napoleon had previously uh, seized control of the French government, had become its emperor in 1804, and had expanded his empire across much of Europe. But at the Battle of Waterloo, Napoleon's forces were defeated by the Prussians and the British, led by the Duke of Wellington. However, there was some miscommunication experienced by those in England as news of the victory was communicated throughout the country. You have to remember, this was before the day of of television or radio or telegram. There was no text messaging going out at at this time. And so communication was spread through signals with lights or flags from tower to tower or from lookout to lookout. And so as the first ship with the news of the victory came across the English Channel, they started the signal. And the first message that came across was, Duke of Wellington. The next message then that came across was, defeated. And then something unfortunate happened. A dense fog descended upon England, and the message stopped there. And so the news was spread across the land. The news, the news that was spread, however, uh, uh, it was Duke of Wellington defeated. Duke of Wellington defeated. And for the next few hours, the whole country grieved. They grieved that Napoleon had won and that they had been defeated, and they were confused, and they wondered what this would mean for them as a country and what would happen next in the wake of their defeat It was horrible news. You can imagine what it would have been like and felt like to be in that that country at that time and hearing the news of defeat. But then the fog lifted, and they got the entire message. Duke of Wellington defeated the enemy. (laughs) And church, let me tell you what we gather together to celebrate this morning. You see, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, there was a dense fog over what that all meant. It appeared like he was defeated. It seemed like the enemy had won. His followers were not sure what it all meant for them, and and they were scared, and they didn't know what would come next had Jesus been defeated. Oh, but when Jesus walked out of that tomb on Sunday morning, The fog cleared, and therefore we gather together to celebrate that through the cross and resurrection, Jesus has defeated the enemy. Jesus has defeated the enemy. The greater power and the deeper wisdom of God knew that the way to defeat our enemies of Satan's sin and death, the only way was through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has defeated the enemy. And by God's grace, through faith in who he is and what he has done, his victory becomes our victory. 
And because Jesus has defeated Satan's sin and death, and because his victory becomes our victory by grace through faith, Jesus Christ, therefore, can make right all that we have made wrong. That's the the simple and yet profound message today, that Jesus Christ can make right all that we have made wrong. Jesus Christ is making right all that we have made wrong. We do not have the power or the wisdom to make right all that we have made wrong. That's why we need the power and wisdom of God. That's why we need Jesus, who is himself the very power and wisdom of God. We've spent the last few times together preaching through this this three-part series in 1 Corinthians 1 titled, The Power and Wisdom of God. And I asked you last Sunday whether or not the transforming power of the cross of Christ was still alive and active in your life. And I believe that in order for the answer to that question to be yes, yes, the, the transforming power of the cross of Christ, it is, it's alive and well, it's active in my life. In order for the answer to that question to be yes, I really believe that the Lord has to bring you to the end of yourself. He has to bring you to the end of yourself. We wrongly think that we can experience the power of God while still clinging so tightly to our own But no, God must bring us to the end of our own power so that we would rely upon His. And God must bring us to the end of our worldly wisdom so that we would only seek the wisdom that comes from Him. And this is why we we preach Christ crucified. This is why your pastors preach Christ crucified. This is why I encourage you on Friday night that you must preach Christ crucified to yourself every day. We have to preach Christ crucified because we have to come to the end of ourselves and see that our ultimate need, our ultimate need is that we needed a Savior. We needed a substitute. We needed a greater power and a deeper wisdom than what we had in and of ourselves. We did not have the power and the wisdom to make right all that we had made wrong, but God does. And Christ is the very power and wisdom of God. And his resurrection proclaims to us and to the entire universe that Christ accomplished salvation for his people on the cross, that their sin has been paid for, that the wrath of God towards his people is now appeased, that the enemy is now disarmed, and Jesus is who he said he is. Jesus Christ has won. He's alive, and Jesus Christ has defeated the enemy. Praise God. We could probably stop there, but let's, let's go a little bit more. And so this morning and the rest of our time, we will consider the power and wisdom of God again. And see how God has the power and the wisdom to make right all that you have made wrong in your past, in your present, and all you could make wrong in your future. And then we'll see why God is pleased to demonstrate his power and wisdom to us in this way.
Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Father, this is your word, and we are your people. And we come and we ask, Lord, that you would nourish us and sustain us, that you would feed us your word this morning, that we would chew on it and and enjoy it and delight in it, that it would bring comfort and strength to those with weary souls this morning, that it would bring hope and optimism to those who are downcast and despairing, that your word, God, would humble those of us who right now we are in dealing with pride and self-righteousness. May your word and the truth of your gospel just cut the legs out from under us, from all of our self-righteousness, from all of our sin that we need to be convicted of and confessed and turned from. Oh, may you work in us powerfully through your word. And may we praise you and give you all the glory for it. Give light, O oh Lord, give light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, look with me now at 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now, for those of you who are followers of Christ, let me remind you that God, through Christ, has extended his power and wisdom already to you in your past. Because Jesus has defeated the enemy, because Jesus defeated Satan's sin and death, because he rose from the dead, yes, he has won you a future resurrection, a glorious future to come, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But this resurrecting power first started in your life when you came to faith in Christ and when your heart that was dead in sin became alive. This is what is called being born again, or or some have called it the doctrine of regeneration. God tells us that the wages of sin is death. And because humanity chose to sin, because you and I chose to sin, we were like dead men walking. But what did Paul write to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2 verse 4, which we had up on uh, the screen even through one of those songs that we were singing? He writes to them and says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Oh, church, we had proved over and over throughout human history and even throughout our own lives that because of the presence of sin in our lives, we do not have the power or the wisdom to make right our dead sinful hearts. We needed someone, we needed a power outside of ourselves to bring them back to life. We needed Christ's resurrecting power to come into our hearts. And when the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, when He comes to dwell in you, He applies to you what Christ accomplished for you. He applies Christ's resurrecting power and victory to your heart and causes your dead heart to come to life and you are born again. And for many of you in here, let me... Let me encourage you to remember and celebrate today how Christ brought his resurrecting power to you in your past when he awakened your dead heart to life, when his resurrecting power first came upon you into your life. For some of you, maybe that has never happened. And today could be that day. And oh, may you see today that God created you to enjoy a relationship with him through being his image bearer, through reflecting his glory to the world. But we all, because of sin, chose our own way, and we chose to try to absorb God's glory instead of reflect God's glory, to glorify and exalt ourselves instead of God. And so may you today confess to God your sin and the ways that you have turned from him. And may you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and receive the forgiveness and the right standing with God that only Jesus has the power to offer you. And may you receive his spirit that will come and dwell inside of you and give you a resurrected heart that beats for him. You do not have the power or wisdom in yourself to make your wrong heart right. Only Christ can do that. But the good news is, is that he loves to do that. And he is eager to do that. And he is ready to do that. If you would only look to him today and trust him. And so if you've never trusted, if you've never trusted Christ as your savior, Let me encourage you to to do that today, to stay after the service, to come for prayer, to come, come talk to one of the pastors or anyone in here. We'd love to talk with you about that and to pray for you. But church, not only has God through Christ extended his power and wisdom to our past dead hearts, but he now also extends his power and wisdom to us in our present life and in our present struggles and in our present circumstances. He has the power and the wisdom to resurrect your present desires and to guide you in his wise ways and to cleanse you from the sin and self-righteousness that still remain in your life that you still struggle with. In Galatians chapter 5, 
God's word says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, we sometimes presently, in our, in our current situation, in our present life, we sometimes get discouraged that we feel this struggle between the spirit and the flesh. But church, the struggle is actually the evidence that the resurrecting power of God is at work within you. Before faith in Christ, there was no struggle with sin. Oh, sure, we might have seen the need to exchange one culturally unacceptable sin for a more acceptable, respectable sin for the sake of our reputations or because we got caught by someone doing something. But at the end of the day, we were just exchanging sin for more sin. We weren't actually struggling and fighting sin. At the end of the day, we were still just living for the glory of ourselves. We still sought to absorb God's glory instead of reflect God's glory. But when the Spirit came to dwell inside of us, that's when the real struggle and fight began. And therefore, do not be discouraged in your struggle with sin, church. And do not surrender or give up. For Jesus was tempted as we are, and yet he was without sin. He was victorious over the enemy's temptations where Adam and us had failed And therefore, look to Christ in your present struggle. Look to the power and wisdom of God who is alive today, who is interceding for you today, who is currently your sympathetic high priest and your living hope. He has the power and the wisdom to free you and to sanctify you from your present sin and self-righteousness if only you would keep looking to him for power and for wisdom. But not only has God through Christ extended his power and wisdom to your past dead heart, and not only does he now extend his power and wisdom to you in your present struggle with sin and self-righteousness, but no, he has the power and the wisdom to secure for you a glorious future. Look at what Paul will write later to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, church, you do not have the power or the wisdom to secure for yourself a glorious future. 
So stop being anxious about it. It's not, it's not dependent upon you. Jesus has defeated the enemy. Jesus defeated Satan's sin and death. And he has secured a glorious future for all those whose faith is in him. It is God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The hard work has been done. The battle we couldn't win has been won by Christ. Now, doesn't this just knock the legs out from under us who love to achieve things and accomplish things? One of the idols of our day, one of the things we worship more than God in our day and in our culture is the idol of achievement. The idol of achievement. We feel as if life only has meaning and we only have worth when we are accomplishing and achieving things. And for most of us, it's actually worse. For most of us, it's we feel as if life only has meaning and we only have worth when we are recognized for accomplishing and achieving things. And church, this is why we are so prone to throw a pity party for ourselves and why we are so prone to despair. It's because we care more about being recognized for our achievements and accomplishments. We care more about that than we care about enjoying what Christ has accomplished for us. You don't have the power or the wisdom to make right all that you have made wrong, but God does. Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. May we enjoy and celebrate all that Christ has accomplished for us. Let us not bow down to the idol of achievement or the idol of being recognized for our achievements and accomplishments in life. May we instead glory in and find joy in all that Christ has accomplished for us. Back in high school, I ran, I ran track for a few years. And in my sophomore year, I was part of the, the 4 by 800 meter relay team right, where each, each person runs 800 meters. For those of you that aren't track people, it's probably the least exciting of the relays because it's so long. And they typically, they put it at the start of the track meet, like before anyone has even showed up or before anyone really even knows that you've started. And uh, they just, they, they set off the four by 800 meter relay team and you're, you're running and there's people warming up on the track, confused why you're trying so hard. And you're like, yeah, the, the meet has started. We're doing this right now. So that's, that's the 4 by 800 meter relay, and, um, and I, I ran through it most, most, of, the, most of the year, and I, was, uh, I had three seniors on the, te- on the team that were so fast. I mean, they were just incredibly fast, and therefore, uh, three of the four of us were really fast, and so we, we won a lot of our races. No thanks to me, really. And so we, we win sectionals, we win regionals, and then for the state meet, I get subbed out. And someone faster gets put in my place. And I get moved to the prestigious role of being the alternate. 
which means I stand on the sideline and cheer like everyone else. But get this, but get this, when you're the alternate, you get to be a part of any of the success that the team might achieve. And so the team does really well. They end up finishing third at the state meet. They set a school record. I get a patch on my letter jacket saying I was a third place finisher at the state meet. And get this, I get my name put up on the wall of our school gym with all the other school record holders. Which FYI, if you are looking for the easiest route to get on a school record holder list, may I recommend being the alternate on the 4 by 800 meter relay team. It's, it's the easiest path to get there. I mean, I did not even break a sweat at the state meet. And I made it into Franklin Central glory. At least for a couple of years till the record was broken by someone else. Now I share that this morning because I I really don't have anything to brag or boast about. I did absolutely nothing the day of the state meet. Except to cheer them on and say, I'm with those guys. They went and they ran a race with a time that I could never have run. I couldn't have done what they did. But the success that they won became mine because I was united to them and a part of the team. Church, in a similar way, this is how God was pleased to win victory for us. Jesus Christ came and ran a race that we could never have run you got to hear me on this. We did not just need a do-over. We did not just need a second chance. We did not just need a clean slate and a fresh start at life. A life of obedience and righteousness. Because of our sin, we could never have run that race in our own power and in our own wisdom. We could never have run that race. But he came and ran it for us in our place. And as he walked out of that tomb and then later ascended to heaven to sit on the throne, he lavished upon us all the benefits of his victory, all that he has secured for us. And he has secured for us now eternal glory. Church, every other religion and philosophy says, here's the time that you need to run for whatever so-and-so God to accept you. Here's what you need to do to appease and please this God. Here are the hoops that you need to jump through to win this race. And it makes sense. It makes sense that all the other religions and philosophies are like that because that's what men would come up with if they were making up a religion. Because at the end of the day, if that's how you achieve salvation, then you get to boast that you met the qualifying time and others did not. But God's truth is so much better than what humanity could come up with. The truth is that God in his grace came down to earth and said, I'm going to run this race for you. Just look to me. Be united to me. Glorify me. And all the prizes I win will be yours. 
Oh, God's truth is so much better, so much sweeter than anything human beings have come up with. But why? Let's, let's talk about this. But, but why is God pleased to work in this way? Why is he so pleased to save in this way? Why, like, why is this the way that it needed to happen? Look at 1 Corinthians uh, verse 21. I mean, he says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. I mean, this was, this was pleasing God, for God to, to save in this way, to give us victory in this way through the cross and resurrection. But, but why did it please God in this way to save in this way? Skip down a few verses, and maybe these next verses will help. Look at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Oh, you see, God is pleased to work and to save in this way so that no human being could boast in his presence. Now, these verses do not necessarily boost our confidence in ourselves, but they are exactly what I need to hear every, every week and every time I'm getting ready to step up here and having an internal dialogue with the Lord, Lord, surely send someone else to do this, please. But God is pleased to save in this way. He is pleased to work power through our weakness. He is pleased to save those who believe through the folly of what we preach, through the cross and resurrection. He is pleased to save through his gospel that says, yeah, you don't need to do this and this and jump through this hoop and do all this and then I will love you. No, he says, I'm going to come and run the race for you. Just look to me. So these verses we've just read, they don't boost our confidence in ourselves, but they do strengthen our confidence in the Lord. They do strengthen our faith and give us assurance in our right standing with God because it's not based upon our power and wisdom, but it's based upon the fact that we are in Christ. And what he has won, we have won. And oh, when you live in that, trusting in that truth that you are in Christ, united to him in his death and resurrection. Oh, what peace that brings you. What comfort that brings you. What hope that brings you. Oh, how it suffocates our self-righteousness that still remain in us. I mean, it just, it takes out all the oxygen that self-righteousness wants to breathe on. How it removes any ability we think that we have to boast in ourselves. 
And church, how much joy is found when we stop boasting in ourselves and in our power and in our wisdom and we only boast in the Lord. God is pleased to save us in this way because he is most glorified in saving us this way. And it was the only way that we, with hearts full of sin, with hearts that had a propensity to absorb instead of reflect God's glory, it was the only way we could be saved. It had to be by grace through faith. It had to be Christ himself winning the victory for us. And I fear, I fear some of you just don't understand how hopeless of a situation humanity was in apart from the work of Christ. And I know all of us frequently forget just how hopeless our situation was apart from the work of Christ. But the transforming power and wisdom of God are fully experienced and enjoyed in our lives when God brings us to the end of ourselves. And that's been my prayer for us this week. That's my prayer for you this morning, that God would bring you to the end of yourself, to the end of your own power, to the end of your own worldly wisdom. Because that's when we fully experience and enjoy the transforming power and wisdom of God. The gospel goes with power to the ends of the earth when the gospel powerfully brings Christians to the end of themselves. When he humbles us enough to see that we do not have the power or the wisdom in ourselves to make right all that we have made wrong. When we see that only Christ can do that. Only Christ can bring our past dead hearts to life. Only Christ, through the power of his spirit, can empower us to fight and sanctify and struggle with sin. Only Christ can secure for us a glorious future. But will we look to him? Will we rely upon him and depend upon him? Will we depend upon his power and his wisdom? to make right all that we have made wrong. This only happens through faith. This only happens through resting our entire lives on Christ. Who he is and what is life, death, and resurrection accomplished for us. Back in 2018, there were boys who were um, all on the same soccer team in Thailand and they found themselves trapped in a cave without hope. Maybe you remember reading the news or hearing the news uh, report about this. There's a, there's a movie that's come out about this. These boys had gone exploring in the cave with one of their co coaches when a monsoon-type rain came down and flooded them in the cave. Thai Navy SEALs came out trying to rescue the boys. British divers were deployed. They were brought in and tried to rescue them. Everyone started dispatching help to try to rescue the boys who were all ages 11 to 16. You can imagine how their parents felt in this, this time. Approximately 10,000 people were involved in the rescue efforts. 
the divers finally find the boys two and a half miles into the cave. And they were miraculously all still alive. They were all still well, a little, little hungry and a little beat up and a little bruised. But people celebrated that they had been found. But the only problem was that it, it had taken expert divers six hours of swimming through the cave to reach the boys. One Navy SEAL had already died in the effort because the dive was so difficult. Those with any knowledge of cave diving knew that there was no way these young boys could make that six-hour swim, even with all the right equipment and gear and coaching. They wouldn't survive it. It was hopeless. It was hopeless. Until someone suggests that they sedate the kids with medication so that they wouldn't struggle, so that they wouldn't try to swim in their own power, so that they would just lay limp and rest in the divers' hands who were trying to guide them and rescue them through the caves. And so that's what they did. They, they, they bound their hands and feet. They put oxygen masks on them. Then they injected them with medications to sedate them. They had to repeat it periodically throughout the dive because it was over such a long period of time. And they did this so that the kids wouldn't struggle, they wouldn't try to swim out in their own power, but instead allow the expert divers safely guide and swim them and carry them to safety. I mean, can you imagine the trust that the kids had to put in the divers to allow their hands and feet to be bound and given a medication to be put to sleep? But they had been in the cave long enough to see that it was the only way. It was their only hope. They had to put their lives and rest their lives completely in these divers' hands and trust that they would bring them out on the other side. They had to surrender themselves and trust that they were going to be brought from death to life. And the good news is that all the kids and the coach survived. But their only way, their only hope was to completely entrust their lives to the ones who had the power to bring them from death to life. Church, Jesus Christ is the power and wisdom of God. He alone is the one who can bring us from death to life. And so may we come to the end of ourselves today. May we come to the end of our power and our wisdom today. May we see that we could never right all that we had made wrong, that we could never swim in our own strength out to the other side. But Jesus Christ came and ran the race that we could not run. And he made the dive into the grave that we could not survive so that he could bring us out on the other side to a new life with him forever. And so may you trust in the power and wisdom of God. May you rest yourself completely in the power and wisdom of God and stop struggling with him. Stop struggling with him for power. Stop fighting him in your wisdom. But may you rest yourself completely in his arms, in his power, and in his wisdom. May you receive his grace and his mercy, 
And may you trust that Jesus has defeated the enemy. And by God's grace through faith in the person and work of Jesus, his victory has become our victory for our past, for our present, and for our future. Jesus Christ can make right all that we have made wrong, and he is pleased and eager to save us this way, all to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's pray.